G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at reedgoosens.com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. I think what it what it was for me is is taking a long, hard look in the mirror and saying, you know what, am I that good at what I'm doing? As I had to reflect back on the flips that I was doing, was it was it more the market I was in that was kind of driving that success? Or was it that I was really really good at what I was doing. The truth is I wasn't very good at what I was doing. So as far as being an operator and being, you know, the the face and the name, I don't feel like I can bring that big of a skill set on top of in multifamily not having the connections and the broker relationships and everything else. I would just be starting from complete scratch like everybody else and and I just didn't feel like that was a path I wanted to pursue because to my wife and I, we love to travel a lot. And we like to just be flexible. We move quite a bit every couple of years uh, on average. And uh, passive income just allows us to live that lifestyle without those complications. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this 
show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Travis Watts. Travis is a full-time passive real estate investor, and he has been investing in real estate since 2009 across many different asset classes, multifamily, single-family, and vacation rentals. Travis is also the Director of Investor Relations at Ashcroft Capital, and he has been invested in over 27 passive syndications between 14 different operators. So he's pretty freaking knowledgeable when it comes to passive investing. And he now dedicates his time to educating others in the world of investing, and he's made it his mission to share passive investment strategies with others in order to help them achieve and maintain wealth in real estate. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge and his insight, but enough out of me. Let's get him out of here. G'day, Travis. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reed. Thanks so much for having me. I know we've been trying to make this happen for quite some time now. So it, it, we it. have been. We have been. I actually just uploaded um, when I saw you at the um, Intelligent Intelligent Investor Real Estate Conference in in January. Yeah, I did a live show there, which I was going to get you on, but I was feeling a little bit crook, um, yeah. sick, and uh, I only just launched that episode today. So it's you know okay. it's, 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 yeah. it's, it goes to show how many episodes I'm sitting on, and we're sitting here at the, the 9th of April. So wow. a good two and a half months of uh, of content, which is not a bad thing to have. But I'm I'm glad to finally get you on the show. But yeah. mate, before we get into the nuts and bolts, do you want to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh man. So I've got a couple memories from, oh gosh, I must've been six, seven, maybe something like that. So I actually remember partnering up with some neighbor neighborhood kids and they had a wagon and a pretty big cooler. And what they would do is they'd go around the neighborhood once a week and they would try to sell ice cream. And so they kind of made their own ice cream truck. So the first thing I did was join forces with them. And so I don't know how we work the logistics out, but I would help them sell ice cream, basically. And another thing I remember doing around that same time, this was independently, I'm probably a little bit older, but I found these little water balloons that you could tie a rubber band to and make like a yo-yo. And I would go door to door trying to get adults to buy those. (laughs) So... I remember those. <laughs> I remember. The, are they the ones that had the different color? Like you cut holes in the in the balloon, so it made it look, and it, you fill it with sand or something. It was like a it was like a solid thing on the end. It was sort of like a, a it was elastic, and it came back. You catch it, you throw it away, and come back. Throw it away, and come back. Is that but what I, you had? That's probably the more sophisticated version and, and the right <laughs> way to do it. <laughs> I just filled up water balloons with water, and I just broke a rubber band. Oh, and got it. Made my got own it. little thing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, tell us, walk us through the journey. You know, what, what, what's your background? Did you go to university before we get into this world of entrepreneurship? Sure. Yeah. So I guess I was kind of on the trajectory, like a lot of folks are, where you're just kind of told to, you know, graduate high school, go to college, and then, you know, take the traditional path. I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to go to college. That really didn't sit right with me. I didn't really have passion for anything, didn't really care about going that that path. I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. But uh, what happened was I ended up getting a scholarship, uh, which paid for uh, pretty much all of my my school, at least for the first couple of years. So I made a promise to 
uh, my parents and to myself, I would at least do a couple years of college. So did that, uh, actually went to school for live show production and video production and audio and sound mixing. And, uh, I, I went up to New York City for a little while. I did an internship up there and I just realized that I really don't want to be in that industry. And, and, and again, I wasn't really that passionate about it. I didn't see any way that I really wanted to, to pursue that path. So uh, throughout that same process, college, maybe a little bit before, I was also uh, reading, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's books. So the, the classic Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Rich Dad Prophecy, books like that, Cash Flow Quadrant. It was kind of planting those seeds of passive income, being an entrepreneur, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as Robert Kiyosaki points out a lot, you know, the, the rich don't work for money. And that, that's always kind of set with me as a, as a long-term goal, I guess. So I knew I wanted to get into real estate. I wanted to get into real estate for passive income. Uh, but I didn't have any mentors. I didn't really have anybody who was, who was helping me out in this journey per se. So I got started like a lot of people get started in real estate, which was single family homes. I just bought one single family home out in Colorado after my internship in New York. And uh, I lived in it first and, and I decked it out with uh, so, some used furnishings and whatnot. I started house hacking it, renting the spare bedroom out. And then I turned that into my first uh, full-time rental. Uh, from there, that kind of jump-started my real estate path, and I wanted to do more and more. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> quite frankly. So I did some house hacking. I did some fix and flips. I had some buy and holds. I, I, in the later part of that, I got into vacation rentals. And what happened was I started building myself a job, a job that I didn't intend to have. I didn't really want. It was taking way too much of my time up as I was a W-2 employee in the oil industry. So I was making a good income, but I was also working 98 hour work weeks away from home. And so, you know, some, something had to give there. I couldn't keep scaling up single family houses and managing my tenants and working that many hours away from home. So uh, that kind of led me to get, get back to self-education, back to reading, to, to real estate meetups, to groups, to mentors, to teach me how to become passive in real estate, which is when I found real estate syndications which in my opinion have been the best model for me and for a lot of folks who would rather spend uh, their, their time day to day, week to week on other things, their careers, their businesses, their family, travel, whatever it is. And they, they love real estate, but more as an asset class and a place to park capital, not necessarily being in the business of real estate. Got it. Got it. And so are you still in your W2 or you completely have quit that right now? So I've completely quit that. So I, I do some 1099 work, um, but you know, passive investing and passive income is, is really what the focus is. And I guess from, have you ever asked yourself the question of why you didn't want to be um, an operator? And I guess, is it just because you, create, you created a job for yourself, but you're okay with leaving some profit? Because ultimately being an operator, you do get the most profit, right? Because you get to mm -hmm. generate the yeah. most profit. Um, so mm -hmm. you just you sort of just said, that's not for me and I decided, to, and I'm going to decide to just be a passive investor, right? I think what it, what it was for me is, is taking a long, hard look in the mirror and mm. saying, you know what, am I that good at what I'm doing? As I had to reflect back on the flips that I was doing, was it was it more the market I was in that was kind of right. driving that success? Or was it that I was really, really good at what I was doing? The truth is I wasn't very good at what I was doing. Mm. So as far as being an operator and being, you know, the, the face and the name, I don't feel like I can bring that big of a skill set on top of in multifamily, not having 
the connections and the broker relationships and everything else. I would just be starting from complete scratch like everybody else. And, and I just didn't feel like that was a path I wanted to pursue because to my wife and I, we love to travel a lot and we like to just be flexible. We move quite a bit every couple of years uh, on average and uh, passive income just allows us to live that lifestyle without those complications of, you know, I'd love to go to Europe next month, except, uh, you know, I'm tied down to this property and I got to do A, B, C, and D and show up to closing and, you know, things like that. So it allows us yeah. a little more flexibility of lifestyle. And, and what are you, where you, where do you live right now? Like you, you, you mentioned earlier on that you're in, you, your original uh, investment was in Denver. Are you still mm -hmm. in Denver today? Yeah. So back and forth between Florida. So Denver, Florida, right now we're in Denver. So got we've it. got a place got downtown it. that, uh, that we rent there. Nice, nice. No, but I do love your focus on uh, a freedom lifestyle. I think it's really important. Actually, the episode I just discussed earlier with with Bryce Robinson uh, at the um, Intelligent Investor Real Estate Conference in, in in January, where you saw me recording, he's a very big guy on freedom lifestyle and understanding. You know, he's he's, dab he's put his toe in the water like you have being an operator, but realizing that he wanted that freedom and 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 setting up that freedom to do whatever the hell he wants. Go to Europe, very similar story to you. And you know, being able to move whenever he wants, um, and and not be tied down to a job, which is you know the deals, um, which is and, and it's good that you also bring up the point that you did have a self reflection. I think a lot of people don't do that often enough and ask themselves really what do they want. So it's pretty cool to hear that you were very crystal clear. Um, you, you give it, you give it a crack. You gave it a go, but you, you ultimately yeah. realize it wasn't for you, and you, there was a better path and an easier path, I guess. It's <laughs> easier way to make money than than having to grind and create yourself a job. So yeah. yeah, kudos to that. So in the intro, I mentioned that you've been investing since two thousand and nine. When did you start investing in passively in in real estate syndications? Yeah, that that big breakthrough came around twenty fifteen. So I'd yep. given it several years in the single family space till I was scaling to a point I couldn't scale anymore, in my opinion, even with a property manager to add that caveat to it. I wasn't just self-managing everything. And um, yeah, that was, that was just a crazy year. I set this goal. I've always been a reader and I set a goal to read 52 books that year. <laughs> and I actually accomplished it. So that was a book That's a week. Awesome. And most of those were self-education, obviously. I wasn't reading, you know, Harry Potter, but uh, <laughs> uh, not a bad one. <laughs> not a bad one. <laughs> Nothing against Harry Potter. Just to, it wouldn't help you in terms of real estate. So yeah. uh, anyway, that was a that was a huge transition in my whole life. My my whole perspective, my way of thinking, getting clear on my goals and who I was, reflecting back. I mean, it was a transformational year. So uh, to answer your question, 2015 through, so about five years now, basically, uh, I've been uh, passively investing. That's awesome. And in those five years, you've been with 13 or 14 operators. So right. where did you start out? And you don't have to mention names, but mm -hmm. it was multifamily. Was it all, is it all multifamily and syndication or you got some other, you know, in self-storage or, or mobile home parks or something like that? Yeah. So the, 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 you know, it's changed a little bit since 2015, but basically today and throughout the last few years, it's been about an 80% focus on value add multifamily B and C class properties and about 20% alternatives. So like you said, self-storage, uh, first lien notes, ATM machine investing. I've done a lot of different alternative uh, cash flow investments all on the passive side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And what has been, to your mind, the best type of investing? And I guess, yeah, what's been the, what's been the best investment today? And then I'll ask a different question after that. Yeah. So to my surprise, let me tell you a little short story about when I got started with syndications. Uh, I was skeptical. 
to be honest with you. I was looking at my actual returns from single family, cash flow and equity. And then when I got introduced to syndications, I started being sent deals. And as I was looking at these pro formas, these projections, I'm going, wait a second, that's, that's more than I was making doing all the work myself. And I thought, there's mm. no way. There's, there, what am I missing? There's a, it's it's got to right. be some hidden fee, some kind of something. And um, to my surprise, uh, you know, the deals actually panned out, you know, pretty close to pro forma uh, for the most part. Some have overperformed. Some have done basically what they projected. Some have slightly underperformed. Uh, I've yet to lose money in the affordable housing space, but I have lost money in syndications in general of other types. Mm. But um, Anyway, so that was just kind of an eye opener right there is just understanding that that is real. It's a real thing. You can actually make, you know, pretty decent money not doing anything hands on. And, uh, and so you, you mentioned the failures. It's always great to talk about successes, but you don't learn from success. You learn from the failures. So what syndications did you did you have a bit of a rough ride on? And, and what did you learn from those those rough rides? Yeah. So I guess the lesson learned was invest in what you understand. I mean, that's the mm. best takeaway. I had done everything from betting the operator and, and the sponsor, but truthfully, I didn't understand all the inner workings of this particular type of syndication. It was distressed debt. It, it got complex. It was, right. you know, this operator to that operator to this third party. There's a lot of moving parts. Well, one person in that whole mix, which was not the people I invested with, it was someone in a different state, a third party, ended up being a Ponzi scheme ended up, you know, that whole thing was just a fake portfolio. And so I didn't lose everything, but I lost, you know, 30% of that investment, you know, which I think wow. it was like a hundred grand or something like that. That so hurts. It you does. Know, it, Man, it's, it's not, money, money, six figures is six figures. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. So, yeah. um, but, but I guess moving into, you know, you've got a lot of tips and strategies for other passive investors. That's part of what you now do and focus your, your mission on is helping other passive investors. So yeah. what are the sort of maybe two, Two to five tips that you can give to other passive investors who are out there trying to get involved in, in a syndication. It doesn't necessarily have to be multifamily, mm-hmm. um, but, 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 what, but what advice can you give to, to make, sure that, make sure that they're doing the right investment? Sure. Yeah. I think first and foremost, it starts with just reflecting inward a little bit. You've really got it. That's probably the most critical part is to understand, should you be a passive investor? Or should you be an active investor? As you pointed out earlier, some people are, would probably make a better operator than, than a limited partner. It may make more sense in their world. Uh, additionally, you could be both. I mean, it doesn't have to be black or white and right and left. You know, you can do 50-50. Uh, a lot of uh, sponsors, uh, you know, invest passively and in not only their own deals, but other people's deals as well. So, um, and then the other thing is, is I guess we'll, we'll touch on accreditation. Uh, accredited investors for, for your listeners, if, if they may not know, it's you know, I'm not going to go into the, the technical definition, but high net worth, you know, high income earners. Uh, if you fit that, um, that definition of being an accredited investor, you have a lot of opportunities available to you. A lot of groups that you can work with out there in the space doing 506Cs, 506Bs, things like that. If you're a non-accredited investor, let's just say you've got, I don't know, 10,000 bucks to get started with, there may be better alternatives perhaps than a syndication, right? You might want to just go into publicly traded REIT or, or something like that. There's ways to get passive income uh, in other ways. So I think it starts with that. And then, uh, you know, th- there's so much that we could talk about. I could probably go on hours about, you know, all this stuff, but- 
you, you, but I'm going to jump in right there because you bring up a very good point that yeah. a lot of, um, and I'm sure you started out as an as a uh, sophisticated or unaccredited investor, right? You, that you, you, or you straight away. I, I was away actually accredited. at that threshold, which was part of that that whole transition piece, right? And what kind of made sense in, in my story, which may or may not make sense in everyone's story. Mm. Uh, and and here's how that started. I'll just real quick uh, side note sure. on that. So as I was going through this breakthrough. Uh, you know, year 2015, trying to figure this stuff out. I just basically took an Excel sheet and I started listing all my assets, all my single family, the house I had, all this kind of stuff. And, and the idea, the thought process was, what if, just in theory, I sold everything and I, I paid all the taxes and I paid all the realtor fees and the commissions and all this, what would I be left over net? And then mm-hmm. what if I took that net amount and I spread that out into numerous syndication deals, passive investments with a conservative cash flow tied to them. What would that mean in terms of income? For me, what it meant is I could actually leave my W-2 job, which I hated. <laughs> so that's not everybody's <laughs> story, but that was mine. And it was like, heck right. yeah, I'm going to do that. And, and right. so that was, that's what got the, the ball turning was, was the why. Why would I do this? Mm. I can leave that job and pursue work I, I enjoy more. Yeah, and, and, but back to my question of the the, the yeah. sort of the, the the spectrum, right? Of of being accredited or mm-hmm. non accredited. There's a lot of folks out there who, and, and more operators are going towards the fully accredited. I know we um, we're, we're eight or nine deals in now uh, at Wildhorn, and we we started. You know, we we built our business on some non accredited, so five or six B mm-hmm. um, offerings. But yeah. now we've we've flicked the switch right over to accredited. I know at at, um, at Ashcroft Capital where you uh, help out a little bit, they, they do the same thing. So how do how do those folks who are unaccredited get a, a foothold? Because it seems like everyone keeps shutting them out. And 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 what's your advice to them? So there's a couple different things. So. First thing to recognize is that these regulations and these offerings are are ever evolving, right? The rules are changing. There's always votes and transformations and different definitions of things. So crowd crowdfunding, just a lot of people hear that term, right? There's some crowdfunding platforms that'll do a 506B offering where you can have a pre-existing relationship, you know, with with the sponsor and and technically they could allow 35 sophisticated investors to take part in their offering if they have that pre-existing relationship in place. Additionally, there's there's Reg A, Regulation A, you're seeing that a little bit more now, specific to some syndication funds and whatnot, which opens up to uh, basically, from my understanding, unlimited uh, sophisticated, mm-hmm. right? So non-accreds. And uh, so there are opportunities specific in the syndication realm. If you don't want to do the REIT or you don't want to do the, the high dividend stock or other types of passive income, uh, you can get involved with those. Uh, I, I would just say the norm, to your point, is moving towards accredited investors. And I think, I, I don't know, I mean, you could probably speak to this more than me, but I think what what that is, like with Ashcroft, for example, they have so many investors now that they're funding the majority of their deals just through returning investors mm. uh, who are already accredited. And there's less of a need to kind of use that friends and family capital to get started. They don't necessarily yep. need that anymore, and I think that's a big, uh, you know, pivotable, uh, pivotable point <laughs> as <Yes>. a sponsor. 
Yeah, you know, you, and you bring. That's a very good point. Yeah, as a sponsor, you you know, you do your first handful of deals. Just you're trying to get everyone involved and get it across the line, right? And 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 hopefully you can get involved as a non-accredited investor. But I think the the the, the real message here is that yes, some sponsors do evolve and do graduate from non-accredited, you know, five or six B offerings to more five or six C. Um, but as an individual investor, if you are in that sort of threshold of hundred, you earn one hundred and fifty to sort of nearly two hundred thousand, or you you're not. Quite Quite there on the million dollar amount is is focused on on that um, from your day job or for, through other investments like you mentioned through through crowdfunding mm-hmm. and just slowly start moving the needle so you can get into that accredited space and then you can you know it opens up a world of a world of opportunity that might be a little bit more uh, available to accredited investors unlike um, sophisticated or unaccredited investors. Yep. On the, the th- Joe, we're, we're, we're sitting here at the 9th of April, uh, and this, this show will be launched in a couple of weeks, probably six or seven weeks' time. Um, rent is due, right? When you asked me just before we got, came on 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 the press record here, what how are we going? What are you seeing as a passive investor? You've got 14 different operators that you've invested with mm-hmm. or are currently investing with. What are you seeing across the, the spectrum right now on, on responses to one, helping tenants, um, to two, um, making sure that they're paying their debts and maybe to three to, to dis- investor distribution because I'm sure as an investor, you're sort of eating last, right? You've got to pay the bank. You've got to get people to pay sure. on time. You've got to pay the expenses. So what are you seeing across the 14 different operators that you currently work with? Yeah, great, great point and uh, <laughs> great timing for this topic. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're like right in that in between, like not everyone pays rent on the first, right? Mm. And, and typically full collections come kind of mid-month. So we're kind of in the middle of that. I've, I've tried my best in the last couple of weeks to get on every webinar and every conference call and read every email that's coming from every group, even if I'm not an investor with them, to try to figure out what's going on out there. So I've got a pretty wide array. And I think the thing to point out, there, there's two main things to consider here. One, it's property specific. So let's, let's, let's imagine you're an investor in a property right next to an airport. How do you think that one's holding up? you know, with, with airports in their current state versus one, you know, completely removed from that sector next to a hospital. How do you think that one's holding up? You know, it's going to be different. I don't know. I mean, there's no exact science to it, but that's the point. And so, you know, back to kind of the high level stuff, I always look for markets that are diversified. Number one, that doesn't, it's not a save all, but at least it gives you, you know, I'm not relying hundred percent on let's say oil you know, and then oil tanks and then, you know, all our tenants lose their job. So you want some diversification in that, in that playing field. Uh, so rent collections so far from what I've heard are not far off from where they were historically over the last three months, let's say. They're pretty close. Some are a little less. Uh, I don't think any are a little more, but some are kind of on target. And I think also, if we think about the time frame here, this whole thing really started unfolding towards mid to late March. Well, yep. and then rents due April 1st, right? So that's, that's a pretty small window. I think a lot of people already had the money in the bank to pay their rent. A lot of them did, not everybody. And a lot of them had their emergency account and their savings account and you know funds to pull from, or maybe they had to use a credit card, whatever. But they were able to make April rent. So as we were talking before this conversation, well, what about May? Well, there's some factors to that. I mean, the government's sending out these stimulus checks. Are they going to get to people before May 1st? And if they do, is it going to be used towards rent or are they going to use it towards food or back paying some debt or nobody knows. So I think, in my opinion, it's probably going to get a little bit worse, May and June possibly. 
but then I do think we're going to have a recovery, you know, in multifamily specifically and, you know, self-storage, other asset classes too. Um, but, but yeah, I, I fully suspect that distributions are going to be paused or stopped or limited, or they're only going to distribute 50% or whatever. And, and again, it's property specific. If, if one property is just thriving and killing it, no reason to really stop distributions there, but that's going to depend on the sponsor, obviously. Right. Right. No, I think, and it's, you, you're right. And I was on a panel last week with a couple of other heavy hitters that um, that have been in the industry for, for many, many years and have seen many downturns before before I have, um, probably before you have as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are saying, yeah, keeping, it's not necessarily that it affected the Q1 operations because yeah. it didn't, mm-hmm. but it really is the unknown of how long this tail will wag. Um, is it going to you know, go over into June? Is it going to go over into July? Like, are we still going to be, is it Q3 by the time we sort of start seeing uh, people come out of their houses? No one knows. Hopefully it's yeah. not. Um, yeah. But the longer we are in our houses, the longer it's going to hurt us as, op- as operators and as investors, right? Because, right. you know, month over month, you just can't keep getting that knock to, the, knock to the stomach, knock to the stomach, knock to the stomach. You know, I can't keep earning money. And it's good, you know, the, the government stimulus it's okay, but it's only going to be okay for one month. What's going to happen next month if we're still in our house and we can't earn money? Yeah. So, and, and we're in the business of medium to low cost housing, you know, class B, B plus, maybe some C stuff if you're involved in. So, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. um, what 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 has been the big takeaway from all your um, operators that you've been looking at? Like, what has there been the biggest communication to you as the investor? What what have they put at the top of their priority list mm-hmm. when communicating about COVID nineteen? I think number one is 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 always about safety, right? So what what we pretty much saw first are all the amenity spaces being shut down, all the common areas and the gathering spots shut down. Uh, even in the building that we're in, they're they're going through with that uh, some kind of new solution where they're sanitizing the whole building with this with this crazy stuff that you know keeps this virus away. So I think safety is the 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 key one. Number two, if you've got tenants who have lost their jobs. I think that it's becoming more of a role of, of a property manager to point out what options they have in terms of maybe filing for unemployment. Right now, they're, they're adding extra stimulus on top of the regular unemployment. In some rare cases, uh, some of our tenants could, could actually get more in unemployment than they were making in their job that they had mm. before. I've heard so that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. And and so yeah, I've heard up to like four grand a month or something, which would qualify wow. somebody for a, you know, a B or a C class, um, you know, unit in most, yeah. most cases. So, so I think it's, it's just getting that education out there. You do have options, different groups are doing different things. Some are doing like payment plans, you know, you can pay half your rent right now, and then we'll defer the other half till the latter part of the month or you know, whatever it may be. Some uh, other groups that, that I work with are starting, uh, they've had some people come forth that want to do like a, a, a charity fund for mm-hmm. residents, which is kind of interesting. So you kind of taken maybe some of the people impacted the most and saying, you know, we're going to let you slide on rent this month, but uh, we'll be due next month. And that kind of comes out of the fund. So different strategies, everyone's doing different stuff, but uh, it will be interesting. Uh, hopefully it's just a couple month ordeal. Have you seen, because um, I know you're involved in some self-storage, uh, mm-hmm. as, as the totem pole goes, I would assume it's food on the table is the most important thing. Yeah. Second to that would probably be shelter, right? Making sure mm-hmm. you've got a roof over your head. Yeah. Like, yes, self-storage is supposed to be insular to all of this, but I know my self-storage bill is going to probably not get paid if I, have, if I can't pay my rent, 
right? Mm -hmm. So have you seen any self-storage operators being nervous about their sort of lower down the totem pole in terms of, um, uh, you know, urgency to pay that particular bill? Not yet. And I just think it's a little bit too soon to really mm. know. Like I said, a lot of people don't pay on the first. So it's it's not an instant predictor as to how we're doing. Right. So right. as we get towards the end of this month and more specifically into May, we'll say May 15th, that's a telling sign. How did April do? How did May? Are we on a decline or was it really not that affected? But you know, if you take a look around, obviously the stock market way different than private placements, right? Way different. But a lot of these REITs and, you know, these mobile home park REITs and these self-storage REITs, they've all tanked, you know, 30%, 40%, some of them 50%. Uh, but, but in all reality, you know, they, the assets haven't really been affected yet. Mm. And so that's kind of an interesting thing on, on how the markets work. But I guess my takeaway from that, my point in sharing that is that I think it'd be a little bit foolish to think that, any asset class is just completely immune to this and they'll have no impact whatsoever. You know, private right. placements are, are completely sheltered and recession proof. I don't think so. Uh, statistically, Hell they're no. not. Yeah, they're no. just not. And, and so, yeah, like to your point earlier, should we stop distributions? Uh, I think in most cases, yes. Even if the property is collecting and performing, it still may be wise because we don't know about May or June mm. or some other unforeseen thing that, that happens. So, um, you know, I guess we should all be expecting a little bit of a loss. It's a little bit of take and give yes. here. We're in a crisis, yes. so let's just accept that. And hopefully we don't take a 40% decline. Right. <laughs> we take a 5% decline. And I, and I think you bring up a really good point is that like in, in the stock market, like stocks versus real estate, and you talk about REITs mm-hmm. and REITs that are backed by physical assets. Physical assets, you can, sorry, I, I should go back. Stocks, you can check the ticker every day to see what the value of your stock. Real estate doesn't, it, it moves like a slow barge. It do, you're not going to see the effect to your point instantly. Right. So the fact that these, these, these REITs are dropping 20 or 30%, and you're like, well, hang on, isn't this backed by a physical asset? And we don't know really what the extent of that is going right now. Yep. So just asking yourself those questions as if you are invested in some REITs or if you are invested in some private placements, um, because you, you real estate, you can't just check the ticker every day. What, what's my value at? You know, because it takes a longer period of time. So mm-hmm. in saying that, and you bring up a very good point that I think and this is my opinion, that what's the impact going to be? And I guess I'm going to tell you my answer first, and then I'd love to hear what you think. But sure. I think there's going to be a ding to the IRR. Um, on, what, you know, if, you're, if you're looking to exit a deal this year or, or, or you know, you've got to hold it for a little bit longer, hopefully your cash flow, you're not going to lose your money, but I think there will be a ding. So maybe it goes from a, a 16 down to a 14 and a half or you know, 150 basis points. I don't know what that, it's going to be deal specific to what you said before, but I think as investors, you should be expecting, there might be some sort of ding. So what are you expecting from an overall return point of view? And maybe you don't know that, maybe again, it's too early to tell, but what, what, do you, what do you think? What are you reading in the tea leaves? Yeah, I think it depends a lot on which um, asset class you're in, number one, right? Are you in a new development deal right now? That's obviously affected a lot differently than a cash flowing C or a B class and things like that. I definitely think there'll be a ding in, in distributions, whether it means stopping them or just a partial distribution or, or, or we were going di- to dis- distribute this month, but now we're going to hold off two or three months, whatever it may be. Uh, mm-hmm. That for sure, IRR to your point, if with the caveat of if, there, there was a, an exit planned, you know, let's right. say in the next 12 months, right? You may right. not notice it if it was five years down the road from today, 
hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No, you so. Bring, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah, you, it all is time specific. And I think, you know, we were, we were planning to sell a couple of assets this year. I know probably Ashcroft was probably going to sell some couple of assets this year. You, that may need to be changed to Q1 or Q2 of next year because you just need, we need to ride it out. Um, I, I guess from an opportunistic point of view, because we're talking about the doom and gloom here, Surely, and I look at it from an opportunistic point of view, you're looking at it with a bit of a opportunistic lens as an investor. Do you think there's going to be opportunities and cracking opportunities coming around in the next six to 12 months? I do, with the caveat that I don't think it'll be like 2008, 2009. That was specifically a real estate crisis. There was a lot mm. of different things going on with liquidity and, and interest rates and everything else that was happening. So uh, I do think there there will be some of, of the groups that maybe we're either just getting started and we're over leveraged or perhaps as we were talking to earlier before this call, uh, perhaps they've already used up all their, their CapEx, right? They're fully, now there's not a ton of cash reserves on hand and maybe they were over leveraged because they've got a short-term debt structure or something like that. So I do think maybe by June, July, August, you'll start to seal some, some deals come back. I think right now is probably a, a really bad time to be <laughs> selling. Um, it, you know, it just depends. It just depends. Yep. I mean, that's a generalization, but, uh, and, and possibly even buying too. I think everyone's general consensus is let's just pause and wait and let's just, you know, give it a couple months and we'll reevaluate uh, from there. Yeah. And I think if you look back at history, um, uh, and, and I agree with you in terms of the, the systemic nature of what has happened here. So it's a virus compared to 2008, where it was actually yeah. real estate backed. Um, but all the deals in, in back into, if you look back in history, uh, back in 2008, 2009, the deals weren't made or cracking deals weren't purchased in 2008, 2009. They're actually purchased in late 2010 and early 2011, where you six to 12 months, 18 months after going back to that slow barge analogy that the real estate finally got affected. You finally saw foreclosures coming to fruition. You finally saw some actual deals on the street. I do think that it's we have flicked right now in April to a buyer's market that it's it's really happened overnight. And we've definitely seen on when we're underwriting deals, and I'm sure you're seeing at Ashcroft that you know deals that you're looking at in February where they had whisper prices of 40 million bucks mm-hmm. are now saying we'll take 32 million. You know, like there's already discounts starting to happen because they, you know, they got caught with their pants down or they got caught um, playing musical chairs. So uh, definitely um, some opportunities that are going to happen. I think personally, but um, it's also knowing not to jump into the fire too quickly. Yeah. Um, straight after it, you know, the old Warren Buffett thing. You know, people are running away from the fire. You got to run to it, but don't jump. Get, don't get involved too quickly. <laughs> yeah, don't don't catch a falling knife. Right? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I love. I don't know if do you, do you um, uh, Oak Oakhurst is it Oakhurst? Who's the the gentleman um, who uh, uh, Ray Dalio? Um, oh yeah. Wrote, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he was. He, I wrote. I read his email to investors uh, last night. He was talking about don't don't uh, catch the, the the falling. Yeah, night. I've heard that quite a bit. I I don't know where. Lots of webinars. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's interesting, but um, but anyway, moving forward, what are your plans personally and uh, professionally in the next uh, six to twelve months? What what do you got planned for? Yeah, I think right now, like everybody else, for the most part, it's a little bit of you know pause and wait. I'm you know saving up as much cash as possible. There's always that chance of capital calls or things like that, and if those don't happen, there's there's going to be a chance for new opportunities too. So I think right now, if anything else, you know, protect yourself, your family. Uh, you know, save up as much as you can, make sure you've got access to open lines of credit if possible, whether that's refinancing your home, getting some money out via HELOC or a cash out refi. There's different things people can do, but uh, having liquidity, I think is going to be pretty important. 
uh, not only today specifically, but, you know, and by fall, we'll say. Yep. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I completely agree. And I think another big thing is doubling down on education. You know, yeah. to, your, to your point, you know, you, you're looking at every single email that invest um, that operators are sending out. You're obviously in a very unique position where you're across so many different operators. So you've got, you're really at the coalface in terms of um, seeing what is coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. But I think for those people who, who may not have as much exposure as you, doubling down on your education now, understanding who are the best operators out mm-hmm. there um, in order to make sure that you're backing the right opportunity when and if and when it does come down the line here in the next six to 12 months. So I think that's uh, also quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, anything to add to that before we before we get into the top? I've had a lot of people in the last week or two reaching out to me that haven't yet gotten started with syndication investing. It's kind of been on their radar and they've been vetting out teams and deals and things. And now it's, it's it, I think there's a very timely episode because it, they're asking these same questions, you know, who are you working with and what are they doing and what have your rent collections been like and what, you know, what's your crystal ball say in the next few, few months or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're in a lot of cases, they've got the money saved, you know, they're, they're just waiting to deploy. And, um, you know, to, to our point there, you know, don't catch a falling knife. Let's just wait a little bit, see how it's unfolding and see what deals pop up and if cap rates are going to change and what kind of deals uh, come of it. So. Yeah, the human psyche of it all, right? The whole, I don't want to miss out on opportunities, but I don't want to lose money. It's like that sort of, where do you, where do you get started? And I guess you're, you would be in a really good position to tell, give people advice on um, what what operators are going to be the better ones you know, coming through this recession because we're going to go into a recession. Let's, let's yeah. not beat around the bush here. We yeah. will head into recession. This will cause a recession or we're not already currently in one by the time this episode comes out. Um, but also understanding what good operators are doing and, and backing those operators in double down because I think the proof will be in the pudding as you just said before about how the collections are going how they're communicating with investors how they're making sure investors are being kept up to speed and and know and you know I know personally um, and this is something I, I took from Frank at Ashcroft that um, mm-hmm. you know over raising on operating accounts when you when you buy deals and I've been doing that for the last five years on every one of our deals over raising uh, for capex dollars so you have control of that mm-hmm. um, it's now coming to to your point of like people who are you know really highly leveraged and you know using the bank for for capex are going to be in that situation where um, things are going to look start looking bad uh, and I know back in the day when we started doing syndications we were sort of criticized a little bit for over raising and reducing the IRR but the fact is now we have cash on hand to see out the bad times and we're in bad times right now so I think it's um, little tidbits yeah. and pieces of information like that definitely mm-hmm. make or break a good operator so um, that's the yeah. that's the prudent thing to do I couldn't agree more and and yeah. and, and and not every investor is going to agree or, or understand that but I think at the end of the day when we are in a recession and we are in a crisis I think on the forefront of everyone's mind it is capital preservation mm-hmm. and they'll be very thankful that's in place and if that happened despite the fact that they had to take a you know one percent cash on cash bump or, or whatever it was you know uh, right. far more things are are important so no 100 i 100 agree with that that the capital preservation is the first and foremost yeah. um but anyway i would like to i want to be very conscious of your time uh, at the end of every episode we like to dive into the top five investing tips you ready to get into it sure let's go Mate, what is a daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Self-education in some form. It could be reading some bigger pockets posts. It could be a YouTube video. It could be uh, right now I'm listening to a Tony Robbins uh, audio program. But, Love you know, uh, Charlie Munger 
Warren Buffett's partner always talks about going to bed a little bit wiser than you were the day before. So I'm a big advocate of that. <laughs> Love it. No, I think that, and it's super important in these times. We spoke about education just a little yeah. while ago, doubling down on that education today. That's what you've got to be doing. And, 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 and never stop learning, I think, is the big part. Like you're, you know, you're nearly, what, 10 years into real estate investing yeah. and you're still not, you know, you're still always learning because if yeah, you stop learning, 100%. you stop growing. Yep. So, yeah, love it. Question number two, who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Oh, wow. Um, I have to go. I, I, I speak a lot. We haven't really spoke to it on this podcast, but I speak a lot about mindset, goal setting, things like that. And uh, and again, this this Tony Robbins program is nothing new. I've been listening to Tony for over a decade. So I can I can say that with full certainty out of listening to numerous programs of his. Unfortunately, the event we were supposed to go to in March got canceled because of this COVID, but we're supposed to go see him in person. But uh, it, it really, your motivation and, and willpower and drive and your why and all that stuff starts all in your head. So I think yep. without that, why are you even in real estate? What's the point? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. purpose. <laughs> so yeah. you have to, so I think it starts, you know, internally. So I'd say Tony Robbins. Awesome. Question number three, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business today? And when I say tool, I mean, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you really love and you can't, you can't not use it every single day. What, what is your most influential tool in your business? Well, it's just got to be the phone, <laughs> the phone and the webcam. I, I mean, gave, everything's I done that way. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is though. I mean, in my world, I mean, that's how I'm communicating every single day is, is phone calls. I mean, I work remotely, so webcams are amazing. I always tell people too, when you're vetting out operators and sponsors, a lot of people, you know, they're, they're, they live in California, the operators in New York, doesn't always make sense to meet up face to face. I get it. Use a webcam. Do a webcam call. I mean, there's not a lot of difference. You can pick up on subtleties in people and kind of get that gut check a little better than a phone call or watching a pre-recorded something on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, pre-recorded, polished, yeah, uh, edited on YouTube, yeah, yeah. (laughs) color enhanced, all that. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) Um, mate. In one sentence, what has been your biggest failure to date, and what'd you learn from that failure? Ooh, I think it was not starting with goals in mind. I didn't have really goal. Like when I got started with my first single family home and then later I got into flips and doing all this other stuff, I never should have been doing flips. You know, that, that wasn't even in the path of, of what I wanted to achieve. It had nothing to do with passive income, had nothing to do with lifestyle that I wanted. It was completely just the wrong approach. So I think that's been the biggest failure is had I just started it. And I know it's all hindsight and it's, it's, it'd be difficult, but if I could go back to 18 again, you know, it would be to get very detailed, very structured, you know, lay it out and put a, a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and self-educate and, and move towards those goals. I was all over the place. I was doing all kinds of stuff and I couldn't have told you why I was doing half of it. <laughs> so, But that's the beauty, right, of, of learning and growing as a human being that we're going to, we're going to, that's our journey, right? And, 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 you're right. Hindsight 2020 is like, oh, I wish I did that back in the day. Well, yeah. okay. Well, you, you were a little scatterbrained at the beginning, but you, you're now here talking to me on a podcast 10 years later. So well done. <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and you're financially free. So, I, you know, you're doing, you're doing something all right, mate. So, so don't, don't, don't beat yourself up too much. <laughs> I think experimenting with purpose, right? It's fine right. To, to try all that stuff, purpose. you yes. know, but, but yeah, that's probably the biggest takeaway. I love it. Experimenting with purpose. I wanna, I'm going to write that one down. Mate, last question. Where do people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Email is probably the best. You can reach me at travis at ashcroftcapital.com. 
com. There's also a, um, a free passive investor resource guide that'll connect you to me via phone if you'd like. And uh, it's also just a 20 page PDF about a lot of the things that we've talked about minus the COVID stuff. And uh, that can be found at uh, www.ashcroftcapital.com forward slash passive investor. And I'm also on, you know, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Facebook. So definitely reach out. I love to have conversations kind of all over the table too. Even if you're not, I want to do a syndication, you know, specifically with Ashcroft. I'd love to just have a conversation about where you're at, see if I can add value in any way, or maybe recommend a couple books that have helped me or whatever it may be. So love it. Love it, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you for dropping by uh, and jumping on the show today. I want to just reflect a few of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your ability to um, understand where you're going in life. Uh, and I think that the whole entrepreneurship, but but experimenting with purpose in the beginning was super important for you to grow into the entrepreneur that you are today. But you always had the focus of looking at yourself in the mirror, understanding that maybe you're not the operator you thought you were. And, 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 and knowing that it's okay that you can give that up and still make great money, and but have a purpose-driven life or lifestyle that is really what you're focused on in the beginning. Like you talked earlier about doing flips and not understanding why the hell am I doing a flip for? It doesn't give me passive income. Yeah. So yeah. really doubling down on that and, and taking those long, hard looks in the mirror has really, I think, helped you cr- into the person you are today, but also into the investor you are today. So I think that's been probably one of my biggest takeaways out of today's show, talking to you. Any, did I leave anything out there? Self-education. You got to do self-education. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you again, Travis, for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. All right, Reed. Thanks so much. Take care. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Travis uh, in and around mindset and understanding your roles in in terms of investing, whether you're a passive investor or want to be an operator. And what do you aspire to be and how does that relate to your goals? I think that's super, super important. Remember, please reach out to Travis at travis at ashcroftcapital.com if you have any questions. And I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, please give back and give the show a five-star review on iTunes. And you can follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook and just search my name, Reed Goosens, and it will come up. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave. Remember, go give life.